us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, please turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 20. And if you're able, would you stand for the reading of God's Word? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we uh, confess our need and ask that you'd be pleased uh, to grant that all the distractions that we might have would be set aside, that you'd plant the good seed of your Word in our hearts, that it would bear the fruit you intend, that you keep the cares of this uh, world Uh, the influences of Satan uh, from our hearing it. And we ask, O Lord, that uh, you might uh, enliven it to us now. For we pray in Christ's name. Amen. After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. When he'd gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. He spent three months, and when a plot was made against him by the Jews as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. So Pater the Berean and Pereris accompanied him, uh, and of the Thessalonians, uh, Aristarchus, Secundus, Gaius of Derbe, Timothy of the Asians, Tychius, and Trophimus, and they went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered, And a young man named Eutychus, sitting in the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him, and taking him in his arms, said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak, and so departed. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. But going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Assos, intending to take Paul aboard there, uh, for he had so arranged, intending himself to go by land. And when he met us at Assos, uh, we took him on board and went to uh, Mytilene. And sailing from there, we came the following uh, day opposite Chios, and the next day we touched at uh, Samos. And the day after that, we went to Miletus, for Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might uh, not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus to call the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. 
how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom of God will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who were sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. And they embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful, most of all, because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. You may be seated. Saying saying goodbye can be one of the most difficult of things. Uh, One of those goodbyes for us took place when Nancy and I left Maryland for South Carolina. We were leaving our families behind knowing uh, that our children would rarely see uh, their grandparents. Uh, It was hard to let go of the circle of friends uh, that we had. Uh, For me, that circle had been my closest companions in college. These were people who had participated in our weddings. We had children uh, together. Uh, We met together and fellowship together around God's uh, word uh, uh, for weeks and weeks and weeks. And we put off leaving till the very last minute, choosing to drive through uh, the night instead of uh, the day so that we might meet the moving van in uh, the morning. And while saying goodbye, we gathered the most important people in our lives, and we told them the most important things, most of all that we love them. It's easy for me, and I hope for you, to uh, enter into the emotions of the moment as Luke chronicles Paul's farewell. Paul is not just saying goodbye to the church of Ephesus, he's saying goodbye to all of the churches. We will not see him again in the book of Acts among the churches. 
And as Paul says goodbye, he gathers the elders and he talks to them about the most important things. He talks to them about sheep. The most important thing Paul wanted to talk to them about was about sheep. Now, why? Well, it's because the good news of the gospel creates a new kind of community that is like a flock of sheep. Uh, uh, It's like a flock of sheep, and the church itself cannot flourish without shepherds. The elders in a local church are to be shepherds, and as uh, Paul, who spent three years in Ephesus, hands off that responsibility completely to them, he wants to impress that upon them. Now, if you're here and you're a Christian, I want to encourage you to pay close attention because you're either a sheep or a shepherd. And uh, uh, if you're a sheep, you need to understand what you need shepherds for in your life. And if you're a shepherd or an elder, your responsibilities are laid out in this uh, passage. If you're here and you're you're not a Christian, we're glad uh, you're here you'll see something of why the church is very different than any other kind of organization, whether the Rotary or a government agency or a business. The church is not an organization based on uh, power. It's a community that experiences the love of God and the care of Christ, the great shepherd. So let's just jump in. Paul is uh, traveling toward Jerusalem, and he's on a schedule. And um, he's saying goodbye uh, to the churches, but he intends to be in uh, Jerusalem in time uh, for the Feast of Pentecost. He works in uh, Troas. He preaches a long uh, sermon, much longer than the one you're going to experience today. And and, uh, he summons the elders to come to him. And these elders are those whom the Holy Spirit has appointed to be uh, shepherds in his church. Did you notice... It's plural. It's elders. Paul always worked with a team. In verses 4 and 5, we have the names of some of them. Sopater, uh, Aristarchus, Secundus, Gaius, Timothy, Titus, Trophimus. They were the team traveling with him at that uh, moment. And if you look through the book of Acts, you'll see that Paul is never uh, completely alone. He always has uh, co-workers with him. Uh, Barnabas and Mark in the beginning, later it would be Silas and Timothy and Luke, and he has even more on the third missionary journey. Paul's team modeled the message of the gospel, not just individually, but in their relationships with each other. They were a microcosm of the kind of community that they were seeking uh, to uh, establish. And the team was a nucleus of the church, a church in miniature that multiplied and uh, divided uh, to, uh, to grow. And the team approach to ministry uh, was to be in the DNA of every church uh, that Paul started. And Paul gathers the team to pass the baton uh, on uh, to them. But why, why so many? Why does it take a team to shepherd a church? Why can't one pastor do it? Well, it's because Christianity is not golf, it is football. Uh, In golf, each player competes against all the others as an individual. Uh, Football's a team sport, and only a team working together can win. One outstanding player like Tom Brady cannot win a football game. 
as talented as he may be. And if the church is going to make the difference God intends in the lives of people uh, and in a city, the only way that can happen is through the strengths of a team. And um, it's only a team working in the community that is able uh, to facilitate the, the life change of seeing people become Christ-like and enabling the church to be dangerous for Christ at home, at school, uh, in our neighborhoods, at work, and in our careers. And just as a football team is organized around players who have positions and a coaching staff to improve the player's effectiveness, so uh, God has structured a, a team. He's given the church apostles and prophets, and we have their teaching in the New Testament, evangelists, pastors, and teachers uh, to equip the church to do its ministry. Elders are pastors who are called to oversee and serve and protect the community. And the people in the flock are to do uh, ministry. They're to be dangerous for Christ. They're to be salt and uh, light and to bring uh, the message of the gospel so that lives would change and even the city would be impacted. Well, why so many elders? Well, there's another reason, and it's because the members of a church are like sheep. Now, sheep are labor-intensive. And in uh, biblical times, uh, sheep were not grazed in fenced pastures. Uh, They were grazed over open fields. And sheep were neither, they're neither wise nor self-sufficient They are 3D animals, dumb, dependent, and defenseless. And if not cared for, they'll get ill, they'll fall into ditches and be attacked by predators. Now, I I realize this is not a very flattering picture, but it's one that God often uses uh, to describe us. And we need to take it seriously uh, because no one, no Christian will ever outgrow being a sheep. That includes Pastors, vocational pastors, and elders. They always, they're always going to be sheep, and they always need to be shepherded. And this has a number of implications that are really important for you at this juncture in the life of your church as you begin to form a pastoral search uh, committee. There are some clear expectations we should and shouldn't have about vocational pastors. Pastors cannot do all the ministry that should take place in a church. They can't care for the entire flock, and nor should the vocational pastor be looked upon as the person who does real ministry, and the unpaid elders, the people who keep him in line and make decisions about budgets and policies. That practice did not come from the New Testament. It it came uh, out of the clericism that developed in the church when it was in decline. Now, I'm not trying to degrade vocational pastors. After all, I I am one of those. And I'm not trying to deny that elders and deacons have a special role. But what I am trying to lift up here for you is the priesthood of all believers. Every member is to be a minister. The work of ministry both inside and outside the church walls belongs to every uh, Christian. And so as you're calling a pastor, you need to know calling a pastor is not a substitute for every member doing ministry. Uh, He can't do that. He cannot fill all those roles. And 
opportunities that God exists. And without you, the church is weaker. Without you engaging and, and being intentional, the church itself is weaker than God intends. And we should expect that the, the new pastor, along with the elders, will help equip us, that they will prepare us, that they will uh, train us. It's more than just the sermon that does that work. In fact, the sermon's got its place, but it's also got its limitations in training and equipping. And when a congregation embraces a team approach, it shifts its expectations. In many places, people expect the pastor to be present in every situation of need in the lives of the members. But when a team approach is embraced, now, the, the congregation comes to see that sometimes the pastor's not the best equipped person to actually be with people in their crisis. Uh, David is an elder and Debbie uh, is his uh, wife. And I watched them care for a family in crisis. They arranged meals, cleaned the house, sat in the hospital, uh, and uh, went for walks with members of the family in that difficult season. Now, Debbie wasn't an elder, but she shared in David's ministry, supporting him as they ministered to the entire uh, family. A team of elders is essential for the health and effectiveness and future of every church. And so Paul reminds the elders of what they are to do by pointing to his own example. Now, if you're an elder, this is the yardstick uh, by which to measure yourself. And if you're not an elder, there's at least two reasons I want to suggest that you should listen. First is this, that the elders are Christ's gift to you, and God has placed them in your lives. And if you're going to benefit from them, you need to be intentional uh, about wisely participating in God's purposes. And as members of the church, it's your responsibility uh, to confirm the call of elders. And there's some men uh, training uh, to serve in this role today. And you can see the measure that they uh, should uh, attain to. Now, as Paul reminds them of his example, it's because elders learn their role best by observing other people do it, by experiencing the care that comes from another uh, elder. Uh, that's so important because it's in their uh, life example that the rest of us see what it looks like to follow Christ and live out life with all the other responsibilities uh, that we have. Now, as helpful as Paul's example may be, it can also be kind of daunting. Uh, to, the call to follow Paul can feel a bit like um, a novice skier uh, down at the bottom of a hill watching an Olympic racer come flying down uh, the a dangerous run, stopping with a spray of ice and snow, lifting up their goggles and saying to you, now you do that. Really? Me? <laughs> I'm just an ordinary uh, person. I couldn't possibly uh, do that. And it's really important to notice what Paul highlights, and he doesn't here. Paul doesn't point to his unique encounter with Christ, his visionary experience, or his doing his miracles. Instead, he points to his character, to his open communication, and his commitment. He speaks 
of his character in, as he speaks of his humble service to the Lord in spite of hardships and trials, of the joy he has in the task of sharing the gospel of God's grace. And instead of appealing to miracles, he reminds them of how he worked hard with his own hands to provide uh, for his needs and those of his team and even to help those in need in the life of the church. And he's completely aware that many itinerant teachers uh, in his day were really charlatans. They were hucksters whose goal was to empty people's pockets. However, he didn't covet anyone's silver or gold or clothing. He identified uh, with the people out of love. He forged deep relationships. He shared uh, not only the truth, but his very life. Uh, Times were spent in homes, at meals, and in long conversations. Humble service, a long obedience, diligent work, and personal engagement. They're not easy to do, but they are attainable. Paul goes on to describe uh, his open communication, and he says several times he held nothing back that would be helpful to them, and then he almost exhausts the vocabulary available to him to describe the various ways he spoke. He preached, he taught, he declared, he proclaimed, he warned. He used whatever verbal means of it that were available to him. And he knew their struggles with sin and unbelief and pride, He knew how the forces of jealousy and envy were at work in their lives. He understood the the deforming pressure of Greco-Roman culture. It's seeking to conform people to its uh, values and its uh, lifestyle, its way of uh, thinking. And he knew the strained relationships that existed in marriages and families in the congregation. And he shared his own struggle as he related how the gospel addresses all of these uh, things. He, he instructed them in how to apply the gospel uh, to their lives. And his uh, teaching was comprehensive. And his goal in his teaching was to draw people to Christ, whereas the false teachers sought to draw people to themselves. He testified to the extravagant grace of God and not to his polished speech. Now, these communication skills most certainly need to be found in the vocational pastor, but they have to be present to some degree in all elders. All elders have to be able uh, to communicate the truths of the gospel, uh, uh, to be able to offer counsel, and in some setting or another, not necessarily up here, um, to teach. And Paul highlights his commitment. He uses an athletic image to illustrate it, when he, when he writes in verse 24, but I do, not on account, I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my race, uh, uh, the ministry the Lord has given me. And he indicates his willingness uh, to suffer in, in doing this. And serving as an elder requires commitment. It involves giving up discretionary time that might otherwise uh, be spent on hobbies, recreation, or even just rest. At times, it it means uh, embracing interruptions and reordering schedules. And at times, it means being misunderstood and even being opposed. And only men of character uh, uh, who can communicate the gospel and are committed should be placed in this office. 
Just because someone is a faithful attender or holds a, 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 a job of some importance, uh, uh, those things don't qualify a person uh, to serve in these roles. And then Paul challenges them and us with these uh, words, beginning in verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he has obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things, to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert and remember that for three years I did not cease day or night to admonish everyone with tears. And so the elders are called to keep watch just as an ancient shepherd uh, would. And they have to keep watch first of themselves. Elders have to be very careful about uh, their lives because they lead out of character. Character is what uh, gives them credence. It's the reason uh, they are uh, people that we should receive with trust. And so they have to pay attention to their own lives, to their spiritual uh, passion. They need to be feeding themselves on God's uh, word and not depending on pre-digested things for all their spiritual nourishment. Uh, They need not just to know the truth, but they need to be growing and living it out. They have to keep their hearts and they need to do the hard work of reviewing their interactions uh, with people. And they're to watch the flock. They're to keep an eye on uh, the flock. Um, Just as a herdsman would keep an eye out for uh, disease and predators and that the sheep don't wander off, uh, so the elder in the church is called to watch out for uh, spiritual diseases and uh, for uh, ideas and thoughts uh, that are contrary uh, to God's uh, teaching in Scripture. Uh, They're to be concerned uh, when members are missing, and they're to oversee and guard, which means they discipline, they correct, they rebuke, and exhort. And we need to welcome elders into our lives if we're going to receive the gift that Christ has for us through them. And we do this by making their work easier, by praying for them and encouraging them. Don't bite the shepherds when they use the rod or the staff. Sheep sheep bite. (laughs) Of course, elders shouldn't beat the sheep either. (laughs) And follow them. Instead of being a strong-headed sheep, show humility toward them. Be willing to go in the direction that they've set and trust that God's working through them even if you don't think what they've decided is best. And last of all, Paul encourages them and us uh, as he commends them uh, to God in the word of grace. He says, And I now commend to you, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Paul commits them to the word of God, which is the presence, the very word of his presence. It's not an empty word. It is the power of God for salvation. And it's by this word of the gospel that God's building his church. And in that gospel, he promises an eternal inheritance 
to those who put their faith in Christ, and the gospel enables them to obtain that inheritance. And God in it declares that those who've trusted in Christ are already sanctified, though of course they have to work this out. They have to live in daily obedience. It is God's flock, Christ has purchased it with his own blood. Jesus is the great shepherd. He laid down his life for his sheep. There's really no higher expression of the love of God uh, than that. That God cares for you, that he gave his son for you. And that's what this table points us to. This uh, table is the place where we come to settle our hearts and minds uh, and uh, embrace fully uh, the love of God. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, may you uh, be pleased to grant in in these moments as we draw near uh, to Christ in this table that we would ourselves uh, uh, be so full of gratitude for our great shepherd and able and willing uh, to receive the ministry of those under-shepherds you've granted to us uh, in your grace and wisdom. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.